You are listening to the Mission Matters Podcast Network, where we amplify the stories of entrepreneurs, executives, and experts. Hello, everyone. I'm Rosemary Bova, and welcome to this edition of Seeking Synergy. Today, I have a fascinating guest for you, Belinda D. Giambattista, the founder of Choose Your Metric. And she's the former owner of Butterbeans, which she sold a few years ago. Belinda is uh, married and the mom of two teenagers, as you know, a business owner. And um, she's really a supporter of um, not only women-owned businesses, but all businesses who really want to grow and thrive. So welcome, Belinda. Hi, thank you. (laughs) We met uh, about nine years ago, I believe, uh, at uh, the Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce. At that time, Belinda was co-chairing the Workforce Development Committee, and she owned Butterbeans. And, you know, I was I was really actually very impressed with you, Belinda, because I, you know, butter beans was thriving and um, I had a, you know, a, a relatively small consulting business and I was fascinated by butter beans and, you know, and how it started. So I'd like to begin this, you know, conversation with knowing the story of butter beans you know, how did you, how did it come into being and how did you grow it? Yeah. So thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and I always love talking about butter beans. <laughs> so this company of mine that I started, it's kind of funny because I don't think I realized it until about two years in, but it was kind of a full circle experience for me because I grew up on a farm and as a kid, my summer job was working in the garden with my grandparents. And so we would get up at five o'clock in the morning before it got too hot. And by noon, we were done for the day when the sun was really beating down. And in the evening, our family would sit around the kitchen table watching television and shelling butter beans. And so if you know what they are, they're lima beans. Some people call them lima beans. It's the same thing. And so, you know, I grew up growing our own food, eating the food that we grew. We, my, my family were, my grandparents were farmers. And fast forward, I'm living in New York City. I'm working in financial services. I have a very different life, right? In my mid twenties, and I have a son. So when he started to eat, I made all his food. And then I sent him to daycare and I started to be curious. And I would ask other parents, what do you feed your children? And they would say, oh, we feed our children pasta um, and then we eat something else. Or I would hear all kinds of stories about families feeding their children things that were not at all interesting, not including vegetables. And I was really surprised. And this was not at all how I wanted my journey to go with feeding my son. So I started to come up with this idea. Initially, it was make food for daycares because my son was in daycare. And the more I spoke to people, they said, if you really want to make a difference, you need to serve school lunch. Um, You need to bring food to school age children, not toddlers. And that was really the initial 
phase of understanding that I have to go serve schools. And um, so that's how it started. And I basically picked up the phone and called everyone I knew with a child in private school, because at the time, that was really the only market I could get a handle in, get a foot in the door. In New York City, the Department of Education provides um, the public school lunches. And there's really no entry in that space uh, for public school in that way. So we started out in private schools. Uh, a handful. I think our first year, I call it the pilot year, we were packing lunches for like 20 kids in six schools, which is, you know, a great um, experiment. It gave us what we needed to write our business plan and then really launch it and then get our first real, real contract. Wow. Wow. And, and it's so fascinating because, you know, you don't think of things, you don't, you don't really think of your early childhood own personal experience influencing your idea for a business and your your desire to have your own your own child experience good food in New York City. It, you know, it's it's exactly, really which is why it took me two years to put two and two together that wait, you know, maybe this is because I grew up this way. And you know, later on we added Butterbean's wellness as a business line to the organization where we had a full-blown food and garden experience summer camp. And oh, wow. we would take kids to the farmer's market and give them money and say, go shopping, buy things. We put them in teams. And then they would come back to home base where they, and then we would say, okay, create your recipes. Let's cook. They they cooked their own lunch. It's the one camp that parents did not have to bring a lunch because they kids cooked themselves lunch every day. They made their own snacks and it was great. And it was really interesting because a lot of families who had children who, who wouldn't eat well and parents struggled, they would seek out a camp like ours so that they could get exposure and, and hang out with foods. other kids their age who are eating things. That wow. were, you know, and it was awesome. It was a really, really phenomenal. Really well, phenomenal it sounds thing. like you really loved it. So now I'm kind of curious as to why would you sell it? <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming you sold it for a profit, but, but I'm wondering like, if you have so much passion for something, why would you sell it to someone else? So I have many passions, Rosemary. <laughs> and so when I started Butterbeans, it was in 2008. And I had just, I, I, I went to graduate school at NYU. I have an MBA from their executive uh, MBA program. And so I, I'm also a business person at heart. And I started this business with the goal of starting, running, operating, growing, and selling a company. Okay. So from day one, I knew that this company would be sold at some point because that was a part of the experience I wanted to learn. And so my kids were, I want to say seven and 11 when I ultimately exited the business. And it was a great time. The business was doing really well. I did get a profit for the business. It was a good experience, the whole thing. And it was a time when, you know, everybody's like, oh my God, I have kids now. They're babies. I need to, I need to be with them. They really need you so much more when they're older. And (laughs) that was a great time for me to, you know, pass the torch to the next owner and for me to take all the learnings that I had from a business perspective 
from butter beans to create my next my next, you know, version of what I wanted to do, which as you pointed out in the beginning is called choose your metric now. And so that was kind of, um, I had new ways of implementing learnings from butter beans that I wanted to carry into choose your metric. One of which was I wanted to create something a little more flexible so that if I wanted to go to a ball game, uh, and watch my son play ball, or if I wanted to do something with my daughter that I would be able to do so and not really have to sacrifice a really busy work schedule. Mm. So uh, does the new owner ever kind of talk to you about consulting to him or her? I mean, I... Um, Pat is the new owner and he has, you know, evolved the company into a version that really works for Pat, I think. And, okay. you know, the, the company is an ongoing concern all these years later, which I'm super proud of. And, you know, I we had knowledge transfer at the beginning where I shared everything I knew with him and just kind of gave him the keys and was an open book. And so so at this point, you know, he he's he's got this. He doesn't He's off and running. Yes, he's in other words. Running. Okay. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about choose your metric and and what your what your attempt is to uh you know and and what drives you to uh focus on the metrics. Yeah. Uh because I know I in my consulting and and uh coaching work do not focus on the metrics. You know, I focus on strategy and, uh, you know, planning and but I don't focus on the metrics. Uh, I'm I'm one of those uh, women who kind of shy away from the numbers. And, you know, and that's my story. But but how did how did you really focus on the metrics? Because I think it's fascinating. And I, I think there are not many women that do that, truthfully. Yeah. And I think that, you know, a metric can be, it doesn't have to have a number associated with it. And I bet um, if you were to explain to me what how you would describe success as you implement the strategies for your clients, I would say to you, that's your metric. Okay. Um, that the metric is really the true North Star of where you're going. So um, if you have, so for example, you know, with butter beans, if we had to choose a metric that we wanted to make a number, we could say, well, we served 5,000 lunches a day. You know, what would it take for us to serve 10,000 lunches a day? Mm -hmm. And so if you have, if you keep it really simple and you have one number or one metric, whether it be um, a number or some other way to measure. Um, so for example, if you, you know, say the metric is I want to enter another business line or we want to go after a different target market. Um, that could also be a metric. And so what you what that does is it gives people a direction so that they're always going towards the same place. the The mission that I have for choose your metric is to help leaders to construct what I call a decision making framework that is made up of three three legs of a stool, mission, vision, and values. And at the center of that, is where you can make really good, consistent decisions. And so if you can articulate the mission and the vision and the values, and you can share those 
ad nauseum with everyone around you so that they're speaking <laughs> the same language. They yes. know the direction you're going and they know what you believe in. They know what you're willing to compromise and what you're not willing to compromise. They know where it needs to be perfect and where it can be good enough. And they understand that. Then you are empowering those around you to make decisions, to implement scalable processes, to put things in place so that everybody is working to the same sheet of music, so to speak, and moving mm-hmm. the organization in the right direction. And so that's really what I'm focused on. It's it's really very exciting because I've just hearing you speak about how you describe metric. Yeah. I've had an aha moment myself in that I had so narrowly described metric to be about you know, numbers and uh, money and, and, you know, and value of money and profit and loss. And it's um, so you've kind of um, thank you for opening up me so that I, you know, can actually play with how I work. Right. And use, you know, the, the concept of metric, because I, I find that so many, um, so many businesses don't pay attention to the values, mission, and desire of what where they want that company to go to. Right. And uh, so, you know, and I think of that as, uh, you know, what is it? Uh, you have to go slow to go fast. Yes. And that takes a lot of work, but it yes. also takes a total commitment on the part of the business owner or the executives of that company First of all, to be aligned, but secondly, to be willing to act in accordance with those values. Because what I have seen in so many institutions uh, is that, you know, they they have values and, and mission and purpose or plastered all over. You know, everybody has on their desk these little things that, yeah. you know, say what they stand for, but the behavior Right. Actions of the executives do not align with that. And people are smart and people know that, you know, you pay attention to the behavior. Right. Not to the words. They have to match. They have to match. If if those if those words and those behaviors do not match, then you have complete disarray. Right. It is dysfunction. And honestly, I will tell you that is. What that is when people recognize, you know, we need help. And it's so funny because I kind I feel like I grew up a little bit in a dysfunctional family. And then when I see a dysfunctional organization, I recognize it. Right. And you see these types of behaviors and you're exactly right. If the CEO is not committed to making sure that that um, mission, vision and values are implemented for exactly what they are intended to mean, mm-hmm. then then it's it's not going to the, the company is not going to reach their potential. Well, and what it results in is you have a lot of people exiting the company, right? And you have for those that don't exit, they e- either are involved in quiet quitting or total disengagement. the right. The amount of disengagement uh, in the American workforce is so high right now. And it's really, I mean, I, I feel that, I mean, I say to myself, what is going to happen to America when our employees 
are totally disengaged and you see it everywhere. You know, you really do see it everywhere. I was I was at the eye doctor yesterday and there was a um, a, a person who, you know, was starting me off. I, I asked her if she was an intern. She's no. She said, I'm just, a, you know, a, a, an assistant, a, tech, a technologist. Right. And I just help the doctor. You know, I, I do the the easy work to get the doctor, you know, so when he comes in, he can just, you know, step to it. You know, and I said to her, you know, she had this bright red hair. And I said to her, you know, I commented on her hair. She's, well, you know, I have to get it done again. I'm going back to Minnesota. And I was kind of surprised to hear that because, you know, I didn't go into why she was going back to Minnesota, but obviously she was young enough that she was kind of leaving this job to go back for whatever length of time. And, uh, you know, you just feel that people don't have the same work ethic that perhaps you and I have. I mean, we have a passion. I mean, you worked the land with your grandparents and you know what I mean? Yeah. And that builds a work ethic. I mean, my father was, was a business owner, so that built my work ethic. And, you know, I used to, at one point he owned a diner and I, And I used to go on the weekends to help in the diner. So it, it's just you have this work ethic and we don't see it now uh, in. Yeah, in, I mean, this is in, this is interesting, right, because we're raising um, the conversation to not just an organization that has a mission and a vision, but a society that yes. has a mission and a vision. And if we can find ways to have the, you know, leaders in our communities to influence everyone around them, the young people, mm-hmm. et cetera, to understand that if you have these values of having a work ethic, if you have these values of understanding and looking toward the future, that you will be able to make a good life for yourself. That that is that is what we have to do as as citizens, right? It's like taking that Absolutely. mission concept and putting it at the society level. And it's a cultural outcome. Yes. And that's exactly what it is for both organizations and societies, towns, communities, etc. Exactly, exactly. Well, Belinda, this has been a fascinating conversation. I'm going to have you back because I know you and I can speak about a lot of different things. Yeah, we could go and, on forever. Um, how can people get in touch with you if they wanted to hear more from you? Yeah, you can check out my website. It's chooseyourmetric.com. You can also find me on Instagram and on LinkedIn and, you know, Belinda D. Giambattista on LinkedIn. So you can find me in both of those places. Great. Well, thank you so much for this very um, forthright and honest direct conversation. And uh, I look forward to another conversation with you. Thank you to the audience for listening to uh, our Seeking Synergy. Bye now. This has been a Mission Matters Network production. Listen to this show and browse our entire catalog by visiting missionmatters.com.